Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke's Gospel. This morning we're reading from Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. It's page 869 of the Pew Bibles. Page 869. Uh, Over the past few weeks we've been in Luke chapter 10 and we've thought about this chapter on several different Sundays. Last week we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this morning we're going to look at a short story involving Mary, Martha and Jesus. Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 38, and we're reading to the end of the chapter, which is verse 42. So Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 38, and this is God's eternal word to us. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to think about the short story that we read earlier in our service, the story of Mary, Martha and Jesus. It's page 869 of your pew Bibles, page 869. And as you're turning to that passage, let's pray for a moment for God's help. And as we pray, we pray the words of our call to worship this morning. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. Lord, we're grass. We're not here for very long in in, in comparison to you, you're the eternal God, the everlasting one. We come and go, we fade away like grass. The, the grass withers, the flower fades, fades, but the word of our God, your word, will stand forever. So we pray that you would help us to understand it this morning, that you'd help us to apply it to our lives, that you'd come by your spirit and speak, and ch- speak to and, and challenge us all. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, we're continuing our series on Luke this morning, and we're coming to the end of chapter 10. Now, this is a short passage, but it has some really important lessons to teach us as individuals and also as a church family. Uh, Despite its brevity, it is one of those sections in the Gospels that gives us an insight into the life of Christ. There are some things that we forget about Jesus. We forget that as the one who was fully fully God yet fully man, he experienced all of the things that we experience in this life. So, for example, this passage is a very helpful reminder to us that Jesus enjoyed the blessings of human relationships. In the Gospels, we're told about Jesus, Jesus' family, about how he had a mother, a father, brothers and sisters. But we're also told that he had friends. It seems almost foreign to us that we would think about the saviour of the world having friends and enjoying the company of others. But that's one of the things this short section shows us. Jesus enjoyed the company of friends 
and spent time with people. There were times when he went around to someone's house just to hang out with them in the same way that you might go around to someone's house to hang out with them and to to catch up with them. Jesus was comfortable in the company of others. The passage in front of us this morning is a really interesting one. And just like the passage we looked at last week, it's one that has been misinterpreted by the church. Some people see this story as asking, who represents you or who do you connect with the most? Are you a Mary someone who is a thinker, an introvert, or are you a Martha, a doer, someone who is all go? Other people say that in a similar but slightly different way, that this story shows us the value of two kinds of ministry. There's the kind of ministry that Mary is into, studying and thinking and so on. And there's the kind of ministry that Martha is into, practical service, helping others. Neither of those interpretations are particularly good or particularly strong. They don't really go anywhere. They're fairly feeble attempts to understand this passage. Well, what this story shows us is the absolute priority of the word in the life of the Christian. The absolute priority of the word in the life of the Christian. It's not, are you Mary or are you Martha? It's not about having a Mary heart in a Martha world. It's about the essential place of the word in the life of a believer. Before we tease that out and and, uh, see that in our passage, let's take a moment to remind ourselves of where we are in Luke. Last week, we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan. We saw that Jesus is the Good Samaritan that we need and that when all is said and done, we are represented more by the man who is half dead lying on the side of the road than anyone else in that story. Before the famous parable that we looked at last week, there's an extended section about mission. Jesus sends out 72 workers He gives them some instructions and eventually they come back. What ties this whole chapter together is Luke's presentation of Jesus as teacher. Jesus is presented as the one who will teach his disciples. Now, how do we see that? Well, just look at the beginning of the chapter, uh, the beginning of chapter 10. In verse 1, Jesus appoints 72 to go out and proclaim the kingdom. In verse 2, Luke tells us, And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And following that, Jesus gives lots of different instructions about kingdom work. The key phrase, though, is, and he said to them. To put it another way, he taught them. He told them, he explained to them what it was they were to do. Jesus is the teacher. As well as that, cast your eye to verse 25, the beginning of the parable of the Good Samaritan. How does that parable begin? Teacher. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? The lawyer comes to Jesus, tries to put Jesus to the test and refers to him, not by his first name, not by calling him Jesus, but by saying teacher, rabbi. Jesus is the teacher. And that continues into the passage open in front of us this morning. Jesus goes into the home of friends and what does he do? He teaches them. In that context, we can understand more clearly that the purpose of this short story is the absolute priority of the word in the life of the Christian. Jesus is the teacher and his his life-giving word should be our focus. He is the one who is the words of eternal life and his word should be our priority. Let's see how Luke makes this point through this story then. We're going to focus on the characters in the story. Two of them have speaking parts. One of them doesn't speak But through the characters, we're going to see this main point. We're going to see the absolute priority of the word in the life of a Christian. 
First of all, let's think about Martha. What can we say about Martha? Well, Martha is distracted and disgruntled. She's distracted and disgruntled. Let's read verses 38 to 40 again together. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. We talked about Jesus having friends at the beginning and perhaps his most famous friends were the the members of the family he goes to visit in verse 38. Mary, Martha, and he's not named, but also Lazarus. This is the same family that we're told about in John chapter 11. John tells us that they lived in a place called Bethany, but Luke doesn't include that detail. Martha welcomes Jesus into the family home. And Martha's place as the person who welcomes Jesus gives us a a hint that she might be the oldest in the family. That's backed up by the fact that she's the one who does all the cooking and all the prep in the kitchen. But again, we're not told. We're not given the family tree. Presumably, there's the initial meet and greet and a little bit of chit-chat. Can I take your coat? Take a seat, make yourself at home. It's great to see you again. It's been a long time. How have things been? You know how it goes. You you also know how it works when you're hosting a meal for friends. One of you will do the chatting and one of you will do all the prep. You can't leave your guests alone, but the food won't cook itself. The person who is doing the prep can nip in and out, but when it comes to the point when the food is ready, it's pressure time. You'll maybe know the phrase, if you can't stick the heat, get out of the kitchen. The pressure is on here. The heat is turned up on Martha. And Luke puts it plainly in verse 40. Martha was distracted with much serving. Here's the problem with what Martha was doing. She prepares what she thinks Jesus wants and needs, not what he actually wants. The sense of what what Luke writes here is that Martha goes the extra mile in terms of prep. Jesus might have taken a light lunch, but Martha pulls out all the stops. She prepares a three-course meal. She's distracted by the saucepans and the hobs, the roast in the oven, the dessert that just hasn't quite worked out the way she wanted it to. And this distraction leads to her becoming disgruntled. Verse 40 tells us, she went up to him, so Martha went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care? Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Martha's angry. She is ticked off at her sister. She, she's giving her daggers. She's banging the pots and the cutlery. And her disgruntlement spills over into words. Jesus, tell Mary to get out here. Tell her to come and help me. What, what is she doing anyway? The problem with what, Martha, with, with, with what Martha's doing is that she prepares what she thinks Jesus wants and needs, not what he actually wants. She doesn't realize that Jesus would have preferred her company over her service. Let me say that again. Martha doesn't realize that Jesus would have preferred her company over her service. She might be able to serve a starter, a main, a dessert, followed by a cup of tea and a biscuit on the side, but Jesus just wants to spend time with her. He just wants to talk to her, to teach her, to have fellowship with her. So that's Martha. She's distracted and she's disgruntled. Well, what about Mary? Mary is the character with the non-speaking part. She doesn't speak in the story, but she does two things that are very significant. Mary is sitting and listening. 
Look at verses 38 and 39 again. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Mary sat at the Lord's feet. This seems, this doesn't seem like much, but it's actually very significant. It might seem strange to imagine a woman sitting below a man and listening to him speak. In our cultural context today, that kind of thing would be considered very backward. But Mary is at Jesus' feet, and that should shock us because it wasn't normal in those days. Judaism didn't forbid women to be instructed in the Torah, in the scriptures, but it was unheard of for a rabbi, a teacher, to allow a woman to sit at his feet. A later Jewish teaching recorded the following, May the words of the Torah be burned. They should not be handed over to women. So Jesus is going against the grain here. His teaching and behavior are countercultural in that he doesn't send Mary away or dismiss her. She sits at his feet and he's more than happy to teach her. Sitting and then listening. That's the other thing Mary does. She listens. Luke says she listened to his teaching. Mary's posture in sitting expressed a desire to learn. If you're a teacher or if you're involved in teaching boys and girls at Sunday school or through an organization, you'll know when they're listening and when they're not. You can just tell by the expression in their face, the way they're sitting or if they're fidgeting with something. Mary is fully engaged. And that's the point of this story. Mary listens intently to the word of God through the lips of Jesus. She was an intense learner. She, she knew, as we said at midweek on Wednesday night, that you always have L plates in the Christian life. There's always more to learn. Mary is sometimes sentimentally portrayed in terms of her adoration or, or passionate worship of Jesus, but that misses the point. She's captured by the word. The word captures her attention, her, her thinking, her mind. It's very powerful. And it's even more powerful when we think about what has come immediately before this story. The parable of the Good Samaritan. There's a contrast at play. The lawyer, he comes to test Jesus and is trying to justify himself. And now we have Mary drinking in Jesus' teaching. The lawyer's being awkward. Mary's listening. If you go back as far as verse 21 in this chapter as well, you'll see another contrast. The message of the kingdom is hidden from the wise and understanding the lawyer doesn't get it. He thinks he's wise. He thinks he understands, but he really doesn't. But the message of the kingdom is revealed to little children. Now, what is Mary? If nothing else, she's a child of God. And what marks the child of God? It's that they sit at Jesus' feet and soak in, immerse themselves, refresh their souls in his teaching. The purpose of this short story is the absolute priority of the word in the life of the Christian. How is that going for you at the moment? Is the word a priority? Do you have a time and a place where you go and you sit and immerse yourselves in the scripture? We live in an age of distraction. We also live in an anti-book age. People don't read as much as they used to. People scroll and swipe and like and share and post and it's all a bit endless. And it has changed us. It has changed our minds. It has benefited us hugely, but it has definitely changed us. Christians have always been people of the book. And there's probably no greater priority in our day and age 
than for a child of God, for a follower of Jesus, for a Christian to know the Bible, for a Christian to sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn from his word. We, do you know, we'll, we'll either be discipled by the world's teaching, we'll either take in and soak in the values of the world, or we'll be discipled by the word of Christ. Because that's what the Bible is, the word of Christ. So how is it going for you at the moment? And what do you need to do? What, what, what do you need to change if you're not engaging in the word in the way this passage says you should? But Martha, she's distracted and disgruntled. Mary, she's sitting and listening. And then the third character, Jesus. It's all about him. It's always about him. Always all about him. Jesus is sensitive and clear. Let's read from verse 40 onwards. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus is sensitive. There are about 15 times in the Bible when a person is addressed by the repetition of their name. Moses, Moses, Abraham, Abraham, Absalom, Absalom, Saul, Saul, my God, my God. To the Jews, it was a way of showing affection. Martha, Martha, Jesus says. Think of his tone here. Martha has grumbled at him. Jesus, why don't you tell Mary to get in here? How, how does Jesus respond? Well, Martha, you need to change your attitude. You wanted to make all this food. It's your fault, really. What did you expect? Why did you try to do so much? No, that's not what Jesus is like. It's like I said at the beginning. There are things about Jesus that marked Jesus that we forget. There are times in the Gospels when we have an intimate insight into the heart of Christ, and this is one. Jesus treats Martha really tenderly and sensitively. Martha, Martha. He handles her so well. She's direct and abrupt, and he takes all the fury and tension out of the situation by just repeating her name. Martha, Martha. It's beautiful. It's, it's such a precious anecdote that tells us so much. That's, that's how Jesus responds to us at times. Stephen, Stephen, you've been so foolish. Look at the way you're supposed to live. Jesus is sensitive, but he's also clear. He's the most loving man who ever lived, but it doesn't mean to say that he won't say things that challenge us or rebuke us. Look again at what he says to Martha. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, what does he say to Martha? He puts it really well, but better than any of us ever could. But this is the essence of what he says. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, this is a really great meal. You, you have worked so hard and it's so kind of you. But when I leave, you're going to put the leftovers in the food bin. And anything that's left over will only last for a few days. But Mary has chosen to sit at my feet and listen to my words. And in comparison, they'll last forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God, the word of Jesus, will stand forever. The food will go in the bin, the word will endure throughout eternity.
This story is not, are you Martha or are you Mary? This story is about the absolute priority of the word in the life of the Christian. The one thing that is necessary, the good portion, is listening to the word of God. Privately, publicly, regularly, expectantly. This is a simple story. You might read it and glance over it and think, there's not much here. What's he going to talk about this morning? But, but it's a very helpful reminder to us about our priorities. Martha, she's distracted and disgruntled. Mary, she's sitting and she's listening. And Jesus, well, he's, he's sensitive and he's, he's clear. Where, where, where do we go in terms of application of all of this? Well, let me speak to you if you're a Christian here this morning. The application of this passage is that we need to be aware of falling into the trap of living a performance-driven Christian life. Lots of us, myself included, spend our days running around doing all sorts of good things, consumed by our to-do lists. Modern life is busy. There's a lot that demands our attention. But the one thing that is most necessary in our lives is to invest our time in listening to Jesus' teaching. Just like any other relationship, our relationship with Christ is based on spending time with him. We, We don't do that primarily through serving him. Service is an outworking of knowing him. We get to know him better through his words. Clean houses, full bank accounts, capable children, successful businesses, all have their place, but they won't endure past the grave. But our relationship with Jesus through his words now and face to face one day can never be taken from us. Uh, don't often speak to folk directly at home. It seems strange to look into a camera when there's lots of people around me. But, but there's something here for you as well. You, you might be at a stage in life where you can't come to church and you think, well, there's nothing that I can do to serve Jesus anymore. That's okay. You've maybe spent years and years serving him in our church family. But you can still get to know him better through his words. Even at your stage in life, the one thing that is most necessary for you is to invest your time in Jesus' words. And that's true for us all, whether we're housebound, whether we're stay-at-home mums, whether we're working busy nine-to-five jobs, whether we're students at uni or at school. The the, the one thing, if you're a Christian, that, that is most necessary in your life is to invest your time in Jesus' words. Service is an outworking of knowing him, you see. It's too common and too easy for our service of Christ to drag us away from his word. Now that sounds counterintuitive. And it's not saying that service is bad. It really isn't. But this is an important reminder for us as individuals and as a church family. We need to be careful that we don't forget the priority of the word in our lives. And we shouldn't think that our service in a busy church family will make up for the fact that we're not engaging with the word. We need to be careful that we don't lose the one thing, the good portion that Jesus promised wouldn't be taken away from Mary. The word is the reason we do all that we do. In light of this story, let's beware of falling into the trap of living a performance-driven Christian life, of thinking that doing very good things in the service of Christ will cover the fact that we're not engaging with what will endure forever. Let let, let me also speak to you if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. There's clear application in this passage for those of us who are Christians, and there's also clear application for you if you're not a Christian here this morning. 
Luke 10 highlights the difference between the gospel and religion. Think about the whole chapter. How how does it flow? How how is it tied together? Well, in the first part, Jesus sends out 72 people to serve him and proclaim the kingdom. In verse 17, they come back and they're full of energy and excitement. Lord, even the demons are subject to to, to, to us in your name. Jesus, it was amazing. Where do you hear what we did for you? And then there's the lawyer. He gives the right answers, but Jesus shows him that he isn't living or doing the right answers. He wants to know what he can do to inherit eternal life, but the lesson Jesus teaches him is that he can't inherit eternal life in and of himself. And then there's Martha, buzzing around, serving faithfully, doing lots of good things. And Jesus says, this is great, but Mary has got it. It's not about your actions. It's about your heart. It's not about your actions. It's about your heart. What's the thread that connects all those stories? It's that people in Luke 10 come to Jesus and say, Jesus, look at what I have done for you. And that is religion. I have done something for God and he will accept me. If I serve Jesus, he will save me. It's religion. It's not the gospel. You could define religion as human activity pursued in an attempt to please God, but the gospel is the message of God's gracious love toward us and the invitation to orient our lives toward him. The gospel is most clearly expressed by Jesus in Luke 10, verse 20. The 72 come back to him full of enthusiasm, but look at what he says to them. He brings them back down to earth. He says, do not rejoice in this. Don't rejoice in your service. Don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice, because by trusting in me, you have eternal life. Now, why does all of that matter if you're not a Christian? Here's why. It tells you that no matter what you do, you will not know God by approaching him and saying, Jesus, look at what I have done for you. The only basis on which you will come to know God is by saying, Lord, I realize who I am before you. I realize that I have messed up royally and I confess my sin to you. And having done so, I also trust that Christ has paid the price for my sin on the cross so that I can have my relationship with you restored. In other words, you won't find hope, joy and lasting peace in anything that you've done. You'll only find the, you'll only find those things. You'll only experience the good portion if you've trusted in Jesus because then and only then will your name be written in heaven. At face value, this passage is insignificant when compared to other parts of Luke, other parts of the Bible, but it has a lot to say to us if we're Christians. It tells us about the absolute priority of the word in our lives. Is it the number one priority for you as you live for Jesus, as you go into, into another week? And it has a lot to say to you if you're not a Christian. It tells you about the absolute priority of responding to the word now before it's too late. It highlights the difference between religion and the gospel. Don't fall for the trap of religion. Run to Jesus so that your name might be written in heaven. Let's pray together.
the grass withers, the flower fades, but your word, Lord Jesus, endures forever. And so as those who know and love you, help us to give ourselves to your word. Help us to make it the number one priority in our lives. And we pray, Father, that you would speak to those who haven't yet trusted in Christ through your word and by your spirit, that they might come to know Jesus and have their names written in heaven, even this day. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for this simple story. We pray that you would help us to live it out. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.